drive time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. the financial realities of teams in smaller markets dictate constant roster churn in order to stay competitive. That reality hit home for the Cleveland Indians this past week as perennial all-star shortstop Francisco Lindor and popular pitcher Carlos Carrasco were traded to the New York Mets in exchange for two major league ready players and two players to add to the farm system. Indians president of baseball operations Chris Antonetti says trades involving players like Lindor and Carrasco are never easy but unfortunately sometimes necessary. Obviously trades like this are really tough not only when you're trading players that are extraordinary uh, competitors and extraordinary contributors on the field but are even better people uh, off the field and in both player cases and Carlos and Francisco's case they've had a huge impact in our on-field success over the course of the last um, better part of the last decade. Um, but those contributions are almost dwarfed by the contributions they made in the clubhouse in helping us build the fabric and culture of our team and our organization and their impact in the community. Um, I know so many first-hand accounts of how Carlos and Francisco have helped elevate and impact the lives of people um, within the organization and within the community. Uh, Cleveland community, and I could not be any more grateful um, for the people that they've been in their time with the organization. And, uh, we'll wish we'll wish them nothing but the best, and are hopeful that we'll have a chance to see them in the World Series down the road. So, um, transitioning a little bit to what we um, what we were able to uh, bring back in the trade, we feel like this is another trade in which we were able to bring back players that will help us sustain our competitiveness not only in 2021, but in the future. We'll bring back two players that can contribute to our major league team uh, immediately, and we'll be here for the foreseeable future, and added some depth to our farm system with two uh, prospects that we think have a chance to develop into, into good players. So this is another example of us trying to make sure that we actively manage our, our roster, actively manage our finances in order to stay competitive and continue the run of success that we've had over the last eight years. And that run of success includes more wins over the last eight years than any team in the American League. Five postseason appearances and a memorable trip to Game 7 of the World Series back in 2016. I'm Jim Rosenhaus, and this is Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive. Coming up shortly, we'll go more in-depth on the trade and its impact with Tribe General Manager Mike Chernoff. And later on in our show, we will shift gears and visit with the always entertaining Indians bullpen coach Brian Sweeney. 
But first, we take a break as Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive, gets rolling on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Yeah, this season I actually had little business cards made. Eric Rubino, Fantasy Baseball GM. You can keep that. Sure, the players are famous, but come game day, I decide their fate. What's that? Oh, you make 20 million? Well, I don't like your attitude. You benched! No, I'd never bench an all-star, but I could. That's also why I like Progressive's Name Your Price tool. With options based on my budget, they never throw me a curveball. <laughs> That's a little baseball reference for you. Get options based on your budget with Progressive, even if you're not a legend in your own mind. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Track Talk, presented by Progressive. Jim Rosenhouse back with you as we continue with our hot stove shows in the offseason, which hopefully comes to a close with spring training beginning on February the 17th. But that is still up in the air as uh, nothing official has been determined as yet. Only uh, the Indians, as well as every team in baseball, being told by Major League Baseball to be ready to go on February the 17th, the first day they can report to Major League Spring Training officially. Well, the big news this week, the Indians trading Francisco Lindor and Carlos Carrasco to the New York Mets, a six-player deal you know about Lindor. You know what Carrasco has done. Here's what the Indians get back. They, in return, receive infielder Andres Jimenez, 22 years of age, made his major league debut at the Mets last season and hit 263 with three home runs and a dozen runs driven in, playing in 49 games in his major league debut season. Also coming to the Indians, infielder Ahmed Rosario. He's been with the Mets at the major league level in each of the last four seasons. And he's a right-handed hitter who batted 268 with 32 home runs and 148 runs driven in, 50 steals during his uh, four seasons in the big leagues with the Mets. The two minor leaguers coming over in the deal, right-handed pitcher Josh Wolf, 20 years of age, the 53rd overall selection by the Mets in 2019's draft and very limited time in the minor leagues because of no minor league baseball a season ago, just a handful of starts in the Gulf Coast League back in 2019. And the final player in the deal, 19-year-old outfielder Isaiah Green, the Mets' second-round pick in this past year's draft, so he did not play at the minor league level this season because of no minor leagues. Uh, High school outfielder out of Corona, California. So those are the particulars of the deal. Indians general manager Mike Chernoff, kind enough to join us after the trade announcement on Thursday, and he touched on many subjects, including his personal feelings when a trade like this happens. Yeah, Rosie, it's it's really, I mean, it's an interesting question because mixed emotion when you have guys who have been um, the backbone of championship caliber teams for the past several years and have grown up in the organization and have done so much for the community. It's really, really hard and and painful and emotional in a lot of ways to move on from them at the same time. And the mixed part of it is is that there's a lot of excitement about the young players that we're getting back, um, the ability to hopefully extend our talent window even further. Um, And, you know, more than anything, we sort of, we, we know that as a small market organization, 
we have to actively manage our finances and build a sustainable pipeline of, of talent into our system. And so I guess when we set out this offseason, our goal was to try to execute a plan along those lines. And at some level, as painful as this is, um, it's a step in that direction. And so there is some excitement and optimism about that. And obviously, along those lines, the, the market size that the Indians are in dictates that you have to make certain decisions that maybe other clubs don't. Um, but I can't imagine that makes it any easier, especially when you have cornerstone-type players involved like Francisco and, and Carlos Carrasco. No, that, that's exactly right. It's certainly not easy. And, you know, you we, we get attached um, in the same way that our fans and our coaches and our other players do to these guys who have been here for so long, who have meant so much to the organization and the community. So it is, it is certainly not easy. Um, but it's, it's our responsibility um, as, you know, it, in the positions that we're in to try to build a sustainably competitive team. And so while it may not be easy, we felt like given where these guys are um, and where our team is, that this was the right move uh, for the, for the long-term health of the organization. And I've talked about this before, but I know, um, I, I think it bears bringing up again, I, there was a, a celebration of a division title uh, and you were a guest in the clubhouse and, and I mentioned the word window and you said, we don't deal with windows here um, in terms of, of contention. And, and here it is, you mentioned going on eight years of, of really good baseball here and trying to keep that going. Uh, there's other franchises that don't do it that way. They might tear it down and then try and build it back up. Why does this front office try and do it the way you're doing and, and has, why have they been able to keep it going for an extended period now? Yeah. I mean, look, we know it's not easy um, and we have to do it in innovative and creative ways that are, that may be different than a typical rebuilding plan of, we don't want to go through that extended rebuilding. Um, and so you've seen over the past several years, we have tried to thread the needle, I would call it, right. We've traded guys like Corey Kluber or Trevor Bauer um, or Mike Clevenger and infuse players who both help our major league team in, in the, in the present term and the immediate future and the guys that we think can help us over the long haul and can infuse additional talent in our system that hopefully can grow into really strong major league players in the future. This, this trade is along those same lines. I mean, the guys that we're getting back in Ahmed Rosario and Andre Jimenez, we feel can immediately impact our major league team. These are two um, very young uh, and very good middle infielders. Um, you know, Rosario in particular has had uh, strong years in the big leagues already at shortstop with the Mets, despite being only 25 years old. Jimenez a little bit younger, um, but he really in a, in a age 21 season last year was able to hold his own in the big leagues and show that he can be a really strong piece. And in addition to that, we're getting future talent. The two young guys that we got back that are at much lower levels, but are, you know, second round talent over the past uh, couple of years in the draft. You mentioned the four players coming back and we're joined by Tribe General Manager Mike Chernoff. Uh, in this particular environment, the COVID environment that changed so many things about baseball, what were some of the challenges you went through to pull off this deal that, that maybe you wouldn't have had you been trying to put it together a year or two ago? Yeah, that's such a um, such an interesting question and one that we dealt with at the trade deadline also. The, uh, the lack of development time on any minor league player and just the lack of information around 
what guys did and, and how much information we can get about sort of where they are um, really makes it challenging to pull off a trade. And, and that doesn't just um, relate to the actual trade we pulled off, that relates to all the other conversations and negotiations that we had with other teams as we were trying to stack up other potential deals to this one. So it adds a dynamic that is one we've never had to deal with before, obviously. Um, and yet, you know, one that we, it is what it is. Every team's dealing with it. And, and so we did the best we could. Our, our scouting group, um, our assessment teams, our, um, our entire group that digs in on these players did a tremendous job of piecing together the information on those young players to build a complete enough picture to get us to a point that we felt good about the deal. The trade happens early January. There is still a lot of offseason left, maybe a, maybe more than we would want because of, of some uncertainties. But uh, I know Chris Antonetti had mentioned it earlier today. Uh, not only do you get players back, but you get substantial salary relief. What does that mean for the remainder of the offseason as you try and put together the, the best roster you can heading into next season? Yeah, that that's right. I mean, I think it gives us some opportunity i would say in this market to see how we can put the best team on the field um, and to see what opportunities we can potentially invest in so um you know it's it's obviously really challenging to take away players like francisco and carlos from our major league team but it does free up some payroll space to allow us to at least explore those opportunities and see what could make sense to potentially reinvest some of that um, and fill some other gaps on our team and in closing, the the two players involved that you mentioned right at the top that uh, they meant a lot on the field, off the field. Uh, any anything stand out in particular to you? Um, maybe a, a certain memory or a certain moment uh, from each one that that you'll always take with you as as they do move on to another ball club. I have so many of them with each guy. I mean, there are moments from the day Francisco came into the organization at 18 years old where you go to have a conversation with him. That's just sort of a casual check-in and he's talking about winning a championship in a ball. He's talking about winning a championship, you know, world series title. He is such a, so focused um, on that one goal, his infectious smile, his energy, the way that he came to the ballpark every day, lifted everybody up. So there are many, many moments, but really just sort of that overall energy that he always brought with Carlos. Um, a similarly long track record, actually longer in the time that we've had him. Um, and so there are a lot of memories I can think of, of some of the on-field success that we had and the role that he played in that. But it's it's hard not to reflect back on his courageous battle through leukemia. Um, and just to think about when he stepped back on the field, right? There was the all-star experience and then the, the experience of him stepping back on the field and being back on the mound. And just thinking about what that sort of resiliency and mindset and approach meant um, not just to him in that moment, but to so many people who deal with health struggles or other challenges in their life um, to watch him go through that and, and get back out there was just incredible. And certainly a, I think a leadership void uh, with both moving on, but uh, how do you go about that part of it? Obviously you bring in talent, uh, but there'll need to be some new leadership in that clubhouse. Is that something that just kind of, it has to happen organically, or, or do you see some potential down there already that can can kind of fill that void, at least in the short term? Yeah, and I guess rather than say it's a leadership void, I think it's a leadership opportunity. When we made some trades of veteran players back, I think it was in 2015, 
we were feeling the same thing. It was a real opportunity for our guys to come together and grow as a young team into a group of leaders that could carry us over the next several years. And we spent, Tito in particular, spent a lot of time with our young players to build that. And you saw a group of leaders come out, emerge out of that group to really help lead us. Um, I think in a lot of ways, when we look around the diamond, we have some really, really talented players. I mean, we have the Cy Young uh, in the American League and a guy who is, you know, MVP caliber at third base. We have some of the best players in the league. Um, so it's not that we don't have leaders, but I think it's an opportunity to transition the leadership to such a young team and to help those guys grow and emerge um, for hopefully what's the next wave of a championship run for us. Well, I know it's a, a constant battle to try and put the best roster together uh, with a lot of constraints and uh, days like today are, are not easy in, in some ways and, and encouraging in others. But uh, Mike, thanks a lot for the time. I appreciate it. Of course, Rosie. Thank you. That's Mike Turnoff, Indians general manager. Stay tuned. More to come after this. In both players' cases, in Carlos and Francisco's case, they've had a huge impact in our on-field success over the course of the last, better part of the last decade. But those contributions are almost dwarfed by the contributions they've made in the clubhouse in helping us build the fabric and culture of our team and our organization and their impact in the community. Back here in Cleveland, pretty emotional moment here. It's stand up for cancer. And right now down on the field, Carlos Carrasco, who's being treated for leukemia, is standing on the field there in the third base coaching box. Terry Francolta, Brad Hand, Francisco Lindor, Carlos Santana, and Shane Bieber. The Indians representatives down there along with Carrasco. And all the fans in the stands holding up signs. We're all standing up signs that say, I stand up for and fill in the blank. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you. Joining you for our hot stove shows leading into the start of the season. It's uh, hopefully just a month and a half left of off-season shows for you, but uh, always an opportunity during the off-season to visit with uh, some of the interesting members of the Cleveland Indians roster and coaching staff, those associated with the organization. And this week we check in with Brian Sweeney, the Indians bullpen coach who we caught up with recently. He just completed his, or is entering 2021, will be his second season as the Tribe's bullpen coach. That was after a long and winding career as a player and now coach. He's developed a nice niche in the Indians' pitching development and coaching machine, joining pitching coach Carl Willis and assistant pitching coach Ruben Niebla at the major league level, giving the Indians' pitchers a wealth of information and expertise, and that has really led to some tremendous performance the past several seasons now as the Indians have been one of the top pitching staffs overall in all of Major League Baseball. In 2020, the Tribe produced the third best bullpen ERA in the American League at 3.53. They featured Major League saves leader Brad Hand. And yes, there will be changes heading into 2021, but that's the norm for any pen in the big leagues. And in our visit with Brian recently, he talked about a season of change and challenges 
in 2020 and how pleased he was with the performance of the tribe's relievers. You know, Rosie, I'm really, I'm really proud of the guys, the way they prepared, um, you know, for the season, you know, when, when we were in quarantine before, you know, before summer camp, we, you know, we set out, we, we had a goal for June 1st to prepare to, to be at a certain point. And, you know, as a group, as a, a bullpen unit, we started to communicate. Um, we were honest with one another, uh, flexible. And we knew that when the bell rang, we were going to be ready to go. So it all started during quarantine with, uh, you know, with how they prepared, how they came into summer camp and let any, you know, of the protocols that might have been challenging, just bounce right off them, just follow the protocols and just get ready for a season. And they hit the ground running and they have a lot to be proud of. Um, you know, wh what a group down there. Uh, they were fun to be around. They competed well. And, you know, like I said before, they got a lot to be proud of. And and for most teams, look, the reality is of baseball, and, and maybe even more so this season, there's going to be changes in different areas of their clubs. And uh, it seems like bullpens are like that anyway. Uh, you do have a lot of turnover. But what has you excited? Uh, a long way off from even spring training, but what has you excited about what's coming back for next year? You know, we there was a good group of core guys, um, and more coming, you know, along the way, you know, you know, we got a glimpse of, you know, Kyle Nelson and, you know, and, you know, there's still some guys that were at the secondary site that, that were pitching really well. Um, you know, the, you know, Anthony goes, uh, you know, and then the, re, you know, returning guys, you know, Nick Whitgren and, and, and James, you know, Karen check, Phil Maton, Simber, you know, these guys, um, you know, they've been, they've been through, through the fight and they're excited to, they have goals this off season to get better and listening to them talk about it and how they want, want to come into spring training is, uh, um, it's exciting. And, you know, you know, we got Emmanuel Classe, um, you know, we'll be ready to go. He's in winter ball right now, uh, pitching some innings, you know, to get some innings under his belt. And it's, uh, it's, it's fun to think about how this bullpen can be put together. You touched on it at the start about the work that that pitchers did uh, communication-wise and everything else to be ready once they got back into things at summer camp. Uh, it almost seems like there's been two off-seasons this calendar year because of that, but uh, how much of that is going on now here around Thanksgiving time and then, then on into the holiday season, things like that? How often do you, do you stay in touch with those pitchers to, to make sure that they're on the right path to be ready for spring training. Yeah, you know, there, there was benefits and drawbacks to the to the whole, you know, pause in the, in the season. Um, you know, as a as a pitching group, uh, you know, with the coaches in the front office, we, you know, we, we got better at remote coaching and communicating with the guys. They, they were willing uh, to send videos, uh, send us the data uh, so we can keep track and, you know, and and give them insight into how they can, you know, take steps forward. And we're, we're using that, that sort of preparation that they had before summer camp and bringing it into this off season and, and running it the same way. Um, you know, you know, we're, we're in constant communication with, with the pitchers. Uh, you know, we had a, a zoom call with the staff just talking about preparation. Um, you know, you know, you know, guys, most guys have already, they've begun you know they've begun getting ready for for spring training already 
um, for February 17th. And it's, uh, they're, they're ready to go. And they're, they're familiar with, you know, remote coaching now and communication. They would, they want to send video. They want, they want to get better. We've got guys that are going that live in Arizona that are going to be at the complex. And we have, you know, our great coaches, you know, in Arizona that are now going to oversee that, um, you know, you know, we fully trust, you know, we're, we're all on the same page and, you know, these guys are going to come in better and stronger. And hopefully that translates to the mound. Indians bullpen coach, Brian Sweeney, joining us, shifting gears a little bit. Obviously your focus is, is that bullpen on a game to game basis, but uh, you had a pretty good view of a Cy Young season for Shane Bieber. And, and just as someone who, who was a grinder in this game as a player, and, and now has been at it as a coach for a while. Uh, what does it mean when you see him put together that type of season? How, what was your impression of the whole thing from start to finish for him? You know, so proud that he was able to receive that award because he, he deserved it. He earned it um, because we saw the work that he put in. Uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to go out. Uh, I think it was June 20th or 21st. Uh, you know, I... I went out to Cleveland because we had a, a bunch of pitchers that were there and, um, and, and Shane was one of them. And, you know, he never really took a break, you know, during quarantine, he refined his delivery, um, came up with a new pitch and found a way to get better during quarantine. And then, you know, to see him throw a simulated game in Cleveland, in the, in the, in the bullpen, uh, no fans, nobody in the stands, no music. Uh, we ended up bringing out a little speaker um, you know, just to, to change things up, you know, put some music on and have and see him go four innings in the bullpen um, shows you how dedicated he is to his craft, right? And then, you know, once, you know, summer camp took care of his business and then, you know, you saw on opening day, um, he, he, just, he just crushed it opening day and kept it going. And there really wasn't a more deserving person uh, to, to get that award uh, because he pitched well and he embodies everything that that award is all about. And you mentioned that work and, and everything that goes in to those, those days that he takes the mound and has success. Uh, you're there close by uh, pitching coach Carl Willis during those bullpen sessions. Can you take us inside those? What are those like for a pitcher like a Shane Bieber who, who was in the zone from day one, those side sessions, which can be really important. What were those like for him? You know, intense. Uh, you know, he takes that game mentality into his bullpen. He's trying to work on something and get better. Uh, each time he, you know, he toes that rubber or, or, or he's in the, in the, in the throwing program. And, you know, it's, it, it really is fun to watch because he can self-correct. Um, you give him a cue, Carl or Ruben, give him, give, give him some sort of cue, you know, about his delivery and boom, he, he's on it and corrects it. And, you know, it's funny, you know, there's some days where he has a, a rough bullpen, if you can believe it. And, and he's, he's angry. He, he's mad at himself that it, that it went that way. And, you know, and he, he'll come back the, the next bullpen day um, and, and be better. Uh, there, there's a dedication to the craft. Uh, a resiliency and relentlessness that, you know, guys that win the Cy Young, they all have it. And, you know, Shane, Shane is, Shane has got all, all of those things. 
this time of year, obviously a, a time to to take it easy, sort of, compared to the the regular season. Certainly, uh, you've had a lo- you've had a long playing career at just about every level of, of professional baseball, including uh, a good stint in the major leagues, uh, some time in Japan, some time in independent ball. Uh, Brian, when you look back on it, any one city or situation stand out to you as being maybe the most unusual or challenging or interesting to you in, in any way? You know, I was, I was fortunate enough to play, to play for a while, not a lot at the major leagues. Um, there was a plenty, plenty of minor league time there. And there, there was a lot of cool stops along the way. Um, you know, cities like Portland, Oregon, which is, you know, one of my, one of my favorites, you know, to, to play, to go as a visitor. And then I had it as a, as a home city, you know, and all, you know, all the little towns across the U S that I was able to, to visit and learn and learn different cuisines. I, I love to eat, you know, I, I never thought I would eat biscuits and gravy. And, you know, when I was in the South and, you know, I was able to eat certain things like that. Um, you know, I guess the most unique though would be, you know, my time overseas with, um, in Japan and Venezuela. Um, you know, you, I'm a, I am a visitor there and I really gained a lot of respect for players that came over to come over to the United States and play. Um, because it's challenging. It's challenging to understand a new culture, uh, a new language. And then not only that, you have to go on a field and perform uh, at the, at the highest level. Um, you know, to, so to see guys, uh, you know, you know, that, you know, come over from Latin America and, you know, and from Japan and Korea and excel, I really have a huge amount of respect for them because they got, they, they've got some more barriers to overcome than, than your typical player from the U S. And you went back to Japan three consecutive years. By the time you, you went that third year, did it, it kind of feel like home where, where you, you maybe knew the deal a little bit better or, or was it still a real challenge even in that third season? You know, just as I was starting to get comfortable, that's when I had my crappiest season uh, and I got fired and, and never got to play there again. Go figure, right? It was, uh, it was what a cool place. What a great country. Um, the baseball was, you know, w- was fantastic. My family was able to be with me over there and experience you know, the different things that Japan has to offer. Uh, I really, I didn't want to come home. I, I wanted to finish my career in Japan. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't work out that way. Um, but it was, what a fantastic experience for, for, for my kids who went to school there in the last, in their last year and for my family to, to enjoy everything that Japan has to offer. Were they disappointed to, to come back home? I don't think they were disappointed. Um, because they enjoyed Seattle the next year um, as well. Uh, but for them to take the, the trip to Japan and then jump on the, the bullet train with us to go, go to different cities and, you know, to, to try different foods, whether, whether it was cow tongue or, or um, you know, some sort of uh, sashimi, uh, you know, from, from the northern part of Japan when we're in Hokkaido, the, the delicious crabs that they have. In closing, it, it's been such an odd calendar year, baseball-wise. Uh, when do you start to get that itch to, to get out to Arizona in spring training? And, and if it's normal, it would be about mid-February. Uh, does that ever go away, or, or, or are you still 
need some of that off season to kind of recharge the batteries. There's definitely a recharging time that's helpful. That's helpful to my brain and to my family that, you know, where, where you, you know, you take a few weeks and you're like, okay, you come home and you do things with, you know, I get to do things with my wife and my daughters, uh, you know, mow the lawn, you know, a, a few times before it stops growing here in New York and, you know, and just, you know, be a dad, be a husband. And, and then, you know, baseball, baseball is going to going to be there. You know, the zoom calls start picking up the phone calls, you know, start picking up and then you, you get the itch, you know, that it's time to prepare and, you know, and get ready for, you know, help the guys get ready for spring training and the off season for coaches uh, is a development process as well. Um, we don't want to stay stagnant. We want to grow with the game. We want to grow with the players and get better. Um, I'm not do, I'm doing a huge disservice to the players. If I, if I sit at home and do nothing at, at becoming better as a coach, I need to become a better, better person, better coach um, while I'm home so I can help these guys once the season starts. Well, coaching and development such a big, big part of what has made the Indians successful for quite some time now. Brian Sweeney, thanks a lot for coming by. This was fun talking baseball for a little bit. Rosie, always good to talk to you. That's Brian Sweeney, Indians bullpen coach. Stay tuned. More to come after this. If I learned one thing from this great game of baseball, it's that she'll humble you. You think you've got it figured out, you check the standings, and you're in last place again. I'm Eric Rubino, fantasy baseball GM, and I can put my team in position to win every single time, but I can't play the games, people. At least Progressive's Name Your Price tool has options based on my budget. It never lets me down, unlike my pitching staff. Amateurs! Get options based on your budget with Progressive, even if you're not a legend in your own mind. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you for our final segment. Tribe Talk is always presented by Progressive. And don't forget, if you'd like to listen to the show each week, it comes your way on the Indians Radio Network. Most participating stations air at sometime late Saturday afternoon, usually around 5 o'clock or so. And a lot of times on our flagship in Cleveland, WTAM, it'll run at 6 o'clock on Saturday. But check your local station on when they air the show for you. It's also available at Indians.com, all the archived editions there, and as a podcast wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And uh, we close this week's show with uh, some news that came down yesterday, sad news in the world of baseball. Longtime Dodgers manager and uh, really an icon in the Dodgers franchise, Tommy Lasorda, passed away Thursday night. He was 93 years of age. And he'll always be remembered as uh, the colorful Dodgers manager from 1976 to 1996. Eight division titles, four National League pennants, and he won two World Series, 1981 and uh, that upset team in 1988. And uh, he was a two-time manager of the year winner, always uh, outspoken, had wonderful stories and quotes, had the opportunity to see him speak at uh, different events on several occasions and, uh, boy, no greater ambassador for the game of baseball than Tommy Lasorda passed away this week at the age of 93. He will be missed 
tremendously, and uh, certainly it'll be a, a tough stretch here for uh, those in the Dodgers organization and the fans of that great franchise. That's going to put a wrap on this week's show. Thanks so much, as always, to Anthony Alford for helping to put together our show each week during the offseason back at our network studios. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance.